Welcome to the Deep Collaboration Podcast. My name is Max Andocker, and I'm the co-founder and CTO of CoScreen. In today's episode, I'm joined by my co-founder and CEO, Till Peeper, in talking to Christian Bach and Matthias Billman. As co-founders of Netlify, they have been at the epicenter of a revolution in web development through the creation of the Jamstack and decoupled application architecture. They're going to share their story on how Netlify was created, the emergence of modern web development, and how they've adapted the ways of working following the pandemic. I hope you'll enjoy it. Matt, Chris, founders of Netlify, very welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you can start by telling us a bit more about how you ended up founding Netlify. Yeah, absolutely. So Chris and I have, have known each other for a very, very long time by now. We grew like we both grew up in Denmark and, and, and knew each other from, from back then. But I spent seven years in, in Spain and Madrid before I made my way to the to the Bay Area and San Francisco where I'm based now. And um, in Madrid, I, I worked as CTO for a company that built websites for small to medium businesses, but at a very large scale. So we would build something like 100 websites a week, tens of thousands of, of sites in total. And yeah. I ran the, the teams of product and engineering people and so on that, that built the platform that a network of freelance designers would use to come in and do the design with, that all the clients would use for content management and that powered every single website from initial brief and all the way to production hosting. And then based on, on that experience, I, I started a startup in Madrid together with the founders of the Spanish company where we were basically saying, okay, we just, we just tried building this kind of platform in-house. So let's try to build a cloud-hosted platform that other agencies and other developers can use to get some of the same efficiencies when they're building web projects for their clients. So I started that project and, and, and came to the Bay Area because of that project. Um, but while I was here and I was working on it, I started seeing this potential shift in the in sort of fundamental architecture of the web and how we built for the web, where at the time, like websites or web applications were typically built as like monolithic applications with your app server and your database. And the front end web part of that was typically like sort of an afterthought of which backend framework you had picked and front end developers were more like, people who would take a PST and then slice it into HTML and CSS and hand it over to a backend developer that might even typically like FTP into it to, to the server and, and, and edit the files and, and, and upload and so on. Right. And there was like, especially three things in that period that, that really started changing things. The one thing was just the emergence of, of GitHub that really yeah. started popularizing version control in general, right? Like, especially for, for the front end segment that, that before this were more prone to do version control by sending around folders and zip files with names like version four, final, 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 for real this time. And so on. <laughs> I think we've all been there. Um, and suddenly the segment also really started at adopting version control, but not just for version control, also as the main collaborative space and the main driver of their, their workflow. And in the same period of time, we really started seeing the browser going from being at first more of like a document viewer to then really becoming an operating system running JavaScript and today in web, even WebAssembly and talking to all these different distributed API and services. And 
the third thing that, that sort of happened at the same time was the emergence of the whole sort of front-end build tool ecosystem. Mm. Where on the one hand, there were the early static site generators like Jekyll and so on, but on the other hand, there was like the whole node-based ecosystem that started with all the different task runners like Grunt and Gulp and so on, and then veered into the to the landscape of, of single-page application frameworks, um, Sprout, Core, Capistrano, uh, uh, what was it being called? Like, uh, Sprout Core, and then Ember, then yeah. Angular, then Re like then React, then Vue, and now Swelt, and so on and so on. Right? Like that suddenly meant that 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 the whole role of a front end developer changed fundamentally to be someone who was really working on fairly advanced software architectures with a build step, compiling stuff and deploying into this browser based operating system, um, talking to all these different APIs and services, and um, at that point, I really started realizing that, that this was like a major, this decoupling of the web experience layer mm -hmm. was a major architectural shift happening. Uh, and and that there just wasn't a lot of tooling for developers working within within that paradigm. So I started a small MVP in that space called BitBloom, where at, at, at the very minimum first step, you could just like drag a folder with a front end onto bitbloom.com and you would get it on a, a, a URL on its own and then added some API and CLI tooling. And just from that, I got, I saw traction with the right kind of early adopter in the front end space that really just solidified this idea that this architectural change was going to happen. So at that point, I, I started reaching out to Chris. Sorry, Chris, what, what's your story there? How, how did you come yeah, into I the mean, picture? So first of all, Matt and I have, have known each other since, since high school, right? Uh, we go way back. Um, I was in agency world, spent my career there, right? I had a um, a digital production company that I sold to a full service agency as part of the merger. I became the chief digital officer. And that's where I was when Matt first reached out. When he reached out in the beginning, I was I was sick and and um in treatment and, and it wasn't going anywhere. Um but uh but yeah sure wanted to to help a friend out and and as I dove into it right I really saw what Matt was talking about that this that the essentially what I thought was the premise of doing business online things I wouldn't even consider right where, where, as a matter of fact, something we could influence and change. Um, and that was interesting, right? I mean, essentially, it's this idea that, that 20, 25 years ago, we started, we stopped making websites and we started thinking, hey, let's build a program that runs on a server continuously, right? And builds for every single visitor. Because that way we can make yeah. things dynamic, right? Someone else can come in and leave a comment and, and, uh, and someone else can come in after that five seconds later and read the comment because it's being built for everyone, right? But, but I think that the premise for that sort of went away a lot with the API economy. No longer needed that, right? No one would build out their own payment gateway and host it. I mean, why wouldn't you just use two lines of JavaScript to connect to Stripe or PayPal or something, right? And, you know, the question would be, why not? Really? <laughs> um, and so, so there was this, this, this huge growth as Matt was talking about. Um, at the same time, if you looked at it from a, from a business point of view, what we're taking is just, you know, the web is the web, right? I mean, it still is HTML, CSS and JavaScript, but, where do you do the dynamic parts, right? And that's essentially the shift, right? And so we saw that when mobile apps came up, it was supposed to be web apps, right? It was supposed to be, you know, Steve Jobs' original presentation actually were these icons were, that were supposed to be web apps, right? And then we just found that this idea yeah. of pulling in the UI every time you turn a page, that wasn't viable, right? The bandwidth and the hardware and so on wasn't for it. So instead we say, let's pre-build the app download it, and then of course connect to microservices for everything you need. Today it's sort of like 
Of course, you're not going to download Spotify every time you use it. At the same time, you're not going to download all the music in the world on your phone either, right? I mean, like, that's a very accepted model. Yeah. And this was really, I mean, there's a lot of ways of describing this, right? But it was very much about saying we can bring that effectiveness and that experience to the web at very large scale. Um, and the business premise was that, hey, would you like something that's infinitely faster? You have multiple points of origin and you don't need to compute for every visitor. Uh, would you like something that's infinitely more secure? The vast majority of, of malware attacks is, is attacking the traditional model big applications out there, right? Uh, by script. Um, and, and, um, uh, and the last part was, of course, also um, uh, uh, scalability, right? The fact that, you know, you, traffic doesn't come like pearls on a string, you know? Traffic comes uh, in, in yeah. peaks and boosts. And so if you can remove the bottleneck from where it's, most important, then that's going to help a lot, right? And and as we go further in, it was also a question of of um, of catering modern workflows. The world had shifted to Git. It was one of those things that went from happening to happened very very quickly, right? But the reality is that if you look at Git and you dive a little deep, what that really is is consistent layers of data, right? That's the architecture. The legacy web kind of runs on the fly, right? And we saw an opportunity of building something that would extend the Git workflow. And that's also where 100 out of 100 web developers had already chosen to live, right? That's comfort. That's where your code is. That's where people speak the same language as you. That's where, that's, that's where everything starts and ends, right? And, and, um, and we saw an opportunity to, to do something here. And, and, and we were convinced this is a better way to build for the web, right? Uh, we were also convinced that, that with our final results, because I could start dogfooding in an agency world when I did, justified this. However, there was just no viable workforce of getting there. If you looked at all the networks, right, we talk about multiple points of origin. It doesn't matter if it was CloudFront or Cloudflare or whatever they were called, right? They were all meant to sit in front of an origin, right? They were all meant to be cached. And that's what they do, right? is caching, right? And what we saw an opportunity for was that, no, if this has to, to, to work, we have to build something or find something that is the origin, right? Not just sit in front of a server. But actually, can have a network in itself as an origin, right? Um, and and all the CDCI tools were made for large software testing, broad scale, right? We needed, and, and you know, you needed rendering, you can get it, but it was one more thing you had to tie together, right? And there was just so many things in total that there was just no viable way of working for it. There wasn't a modern glue layer, right? No one had built any services with this these use cases in mind. That became the mission of Netlify still is, right? Saying, hey, we can actually build a cohesive collaborative workflow layer that ties this together. And then we believe that if we do that, then it's faster, it's safer, it's more secure, it's, it's, it's uh, much more scalable, and it's infinitely better or more compatible with, with modern Git workflows. And that has to win out. Like, that has to be the right thing to go and build. And so yeah, that's been our life mission since then. Hey, and why do you think the likes of Microsoft, Amazon didn't figure this out before you did or in parallel to you? Like, how come they missed this trend? Because obviously Microsoft owns GitHub. They must have understood the importance of open source and collaboration around code. But there was something right on the, on the, the, the next step was missing. Like, how do you not only host this easily, but how do you actually transform code directly in, into the hosting environment? And how, how come they didn't see that? I think there's several several reasons, right? Like um, 
one one piece of it was the architectural piece, right? Where where all the existing cloud providers and all the existing infrastructure providers were typically catering like a large user base that were used to build with a monolithic approach, right? And was used to build in it in a traditional way. And that's where they're like today still like that's where the main revenue source lies, right? Mm -hmm. Like and as a company you will typically tend not for no bad reason, right? To build uh, functionalities and focus on, on features that directly benefit your biggest, like your largest customers, right? And, and mm. you'll talk to customers and listen to them. So I think there's an inherent inertia there where we could go in and say, okay, if we really embrace this idea of decoupling and really go in and say like, we, we will be very strongly opinionated around the architectural approach. Well, like, Back then, we even had to talk to people in the industry and sort of come up with a like common term for it, right? There wasn't a name for the Jamstack mm -hmm. architecture at the space. Some people were talking about single page applications, some about static websites, some about like uh, decoupled front ends, and like that. But that just that just wasn't like one coherent terminology or anything around it, right? And I think that was one of our core like insights early on saying like if we have really strongly like almost religious around this architecture and so you need to decouple the the front end web experience layer from the back end api and service layer and embrace certain like practices in terms of like having this build step and deployment step that allows us to reason about like the caching contract for your front end and all of that if you do that then we can remove essentially all the friction of going from mm. code to to production right but i think obviously like the bigger players are still not able to say like we mm. are religious about this way of building because they they support all it like they they build around all the legacy use cases right like they build around the the the, the way mm. the world used to be right and that was kind of my my insight when i was building webpop right which was like the previous startup like a full multi-tenant cloud hosted cms that even if i was proud of a lot of what went into that product i felt like if if i keep going in this direction i'm building something for the current state of the web and not for the not for how the web is going to look like in the future and that was the the core decision early on to to say we believe in this decoupling we believe in this architectural approach then we can be very opinionated there but then let developers freely pick whatever tools they want to use within that approach. Like where you never have an opinion around like the build tool or the framework they use or, or um, what sort of component library or, or anything like that. So, so you were talking a bit about the Jamstack and how you came up with that concept because you felt the need to be opinionated about how fronted certain these type, new types of apps are being built. Can you tell us a bit more about that concept and, and also what do you think the impact has been on the modern web? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the core concept really resonates also with what Chris said earlier, this idea of taking an approach to building for the web that's similar to how we, we build when we build for mobile applications, right? Where we compile a UI, ship that to the user, and then pull in data as needed from all these different APIs and, and, and services, right? Um, and and that's been at the core of 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 what we saw organically. Like we, we we didn't invent that approach to building for the web, right? Like we started seeing that 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 this was something that was happening and was started to get adopted, right? But just that there wasn't a nomenclature for for it, right? And and 
we saw that there would be a big power in just having a common word for this, right? Like early on when, when we started Netlify, we would talk to all these different people and all of them would come to us and then they would spend like 15 minutes of the conversation explaining what they were doing architecturally, right? And because there wasn't a name for it, right? Like, so we were like, we need a way to just say, I am doing X right? like, and not that I like, and not coming with the whole, I'm decoupling the front end from the back end. And we use these different APIs and services and we've introduced a build step and we're trying to distribute it globally. And so on, right? like, we kind of needed a way to just say, like, I I'm doing something right. Like, and, uh, and, and that's, we, we brainstormed a lot and thought, talked a lot and ended up coming up with, with, with Jamstack as, as, as a way of, of representing it and circulated that with different people in the, in the industry and people we were close to and got, got kind of that feeling that like, yeah, just having that word will allow all of us to, to sort of express yeah. what we're doing and, and, and build around it. Right. Like, and that's what's been happening, right? Like in the early days, of course, we had to be out there evangelizing a lot and, and, and saying like, this is how you should do things. And now we, especially over the next last year, have really seen like a clear sort of broader industry exception that acceptance that, that this decoupling of the web experience layer from the, from the platform infrastructure layer is totally happening. And that, that, that this seems like the right approach for building the future of the web. And other companies use the term Jamstack these days as well. Yeah, Everybody, yeah. I understand. All the big yeah. players have their, have their um, yeah. Jamstack play and they, there's lots of funded startups in the space uh, anywhere from, yeah. from people that are maybe trying to copy some of the things yeah. we do to, to all the people like trying to figure out like, how do we build the next generation of e-commerce in this space? How do we build personalization in this space? How do we build integrations between like large enterprises, legacy systems, and this modern approach to building? How do we tackle like once you build with, with this decoupled approach and you no longer just have like one app server in a database, but a lot of different APIs and services where your data li lives, how do we glue that together and orchestrate that in a way that makes it easy for developers to, to work with and reason about. Does that ever frustrate you how say other companies might be misusing the term Jamstack? Does it happen or you're, you're just happy as long as it's being. I mean, it used? happens. Like, I mean, we sometimes see some people miscategorizing it as like static websites, like, or, or a name yeah. for that, which was never the, mm. the like the original manifesto we sort of wrote never had the word static in it, right? Like it was really about the decoupling and about moving a lot of the dynamic pieces and um, and having more clarity over the ar architecture as a, as a developer, right? So it can frustrate us when, when it gets portrayed as, 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 as for simple projects or something like that, when we see really big, complex uh, projects ranging from applications to content-driven websites to large e-commerces and so on built with this approach. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, at, but even just at Netlify, we have e-commerce players that have millions of shops of Netlify. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, like, that's huge. Right? Yeah. Millions of individual <laughs> storefronts. Yeah. Right, uh, completely using Netlify for all of it, right? For from local development to to edge node. Yeah. Um, so so I mean, it is it it is it's definitely big. I don't I don't think like you know words are words, right? What we do is important, mm. right? And and what I see is that 
in, in the beginning, it was sort of us saying, hey, this is the way, right? And then it became more probable. And now it's in the last year or so, it's just become avoidable. Like, in, like right. we could sit on any partnership call, but especially with, with any, for example, consensual partner or, or, or enterprise client. And there's no sort of, hey, should we be moving off monolithic applications? There's no sort of, hey, the considerations we had from our backend, mm-hmm. right? That we should be thinking about microservices and so on. Should we take the same considerations to our web problems? They know, right? Then we can talk about what they call it or whatever, right? But the idea that we're moving away from monolithic apps, some of these journeys can take years, right? Because they're so ingrained and there's a lot of stakeholders and that's totally fine. That's, that's what happens with any shift, right? But that seems to be, even though it's still a small part of the web, but at a point where it's almost, there's no return, right? Because it is fundamentally a better way to build. And, and the conversations are always about, okay, how do we get there? And, and then we can talk about, hey, you can use this flavor, uh, these tools and these frameworks, and we don't need it all consolidated in one big play, and we want all the services and tied together ourselves. And there's, a, there's more than one way to roam, right? Yeah. But this idea that we should not use these traditional heavy monolithic applications for our entire web properties because of all the, the frailty that comes with hosting a building uh, in, in one step, right, and exposing that to the public and so on. Um, and all the other reasons that we just talked about early on. That seems to have become a given surprisingly fast, even for us, right? I mean, it's not that long ago where we would have to speak about the virtues of the category. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. They're like, well, of course, it's, and if, you know, sometimes they might even not, 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 not be using the terminology of Jamstack yet, right? Uh, though in most cases they do. But, yeah. but the notion that they have to, what they're moving away from and why that's, that that's already sort of been proven, I feel like, and accepted. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly impressive how you sort of managed to see this or these trends converging, how you managed to place yourself in the middle of all of that and drive the conversation, right? But make it in a way that's very inclusive to other players, you know, come come join us, come be part of the Jamstack, come be part of this new way of bidding on the web. I think it's necessary. I think you're absolutely right. But I think that's the only way you can do something like that, right? If it comes across as proprietary, then it's someone's marketing thing, right? But when it comes across yeah. as something that, hey, this is a way of talking about something that we are as, we are as, as a whole, right? All of us that, that are working on, on, on providing tools for, for building a better web are moving towards, right? Mm-hmm. For good reason. And you sort of have to have an inclusive approach, right? Otherwise, it just becomes too fragmented. You don't get there. And remember, people on the other end, they also want to find a solution, right? They want to understand what's the best way forward. If, if you talk about, uh, you know, collaboration in general, uh, and specifically remote collaboration, you know, there is synchronous work, which is more the space where cold screen is playing, asynchronous work. Uh, I'd like to understand, you know, how does how do you play between the two? And also, how do you enable developers to wor- work with a more collaborative and uh, unified workflow? Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the key pieces for us was really to to always aim to ex- to meet the developers where they are and then extend their workflow from there, right? So we really plugged even to, to the workflow developers have around Git. We, we invented this concept around like deploy previews uh, as a product feature, right? Like where every pull request you open gets a URL that you can share with others where you can preview this the stage of the deploy where every branch potentially gets its own domain that you can follow along and, and view and where every commit gets mm-hmm. even like a unique shard that's immutable that you can go back and forth between. And that's of course 
like in its essence, a feature that's in a driving collaboration between both developers and the stakeholders around them, product managers, yeah. designers, and so on, right? And that really starts with, with the Git-centric workflow, right? With like this idea of opening pull requests and branches and merging and so on, right? And I think that was one of the important things for, for us to really just tap into this. And then also offer tools like Netlify Dev for, for, for taking that same experience and sort of running it locally as you're developing one developer and even Netlify Dev dash dash live that will take what you're running locally and give you a URL that you can share with, with any of your coworkers and make changes directly and, and have it reflect on, on what you're building. And then of course, on the other side of it, there's like Netlify's part of like allowing you to to control rollouts, go in and say like, hey, right now we're about to do a big, big launch. Let's pause rollouts across like on the production branch. Let's merge everything into master and then use Netlify as the orchestration mechanism where as a team we can go in and say now publish the, the main version of all these three properties. Uh, but we've already viewed them together as a team and made sure it's the process we want. Like that's all the, the intricacies of driving driving Netlify's from other tools like headless CMS is triggering new rebuilds of your site or build notifications going into to Slack or all all, yeah. all of these aspects that are sort of very like that we try to just very seamlessly craft onto the workflow that, that's natural for the teams of developers that work with mm -hmm. our platform. Mm -hmm. And also just say like as a headline, you know, uh, website building at scale is a team sport, yeah. right? And what ne the magic of Netlify really is, I think, um, is that we provide a common workflow and a common source of truth from local development to edge node. Mm. Right? Very often you see an organization that has silos. You have the people that are skilled and, and working on the web apps and the people that are working on the edge caching, right? And the people that are working on serverless functions. And, and, and they all have separate sorts of truths, right? And that's also why iteration is a big thing you don't just do immediate rollbacks because you're not rolling back the, the entirety of, of everything right you're rolling back parts of it and and so part of making this viable was to create a parameter that does share a source of truth across your workflow right and that means that you 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 have several different stakeholders working together right and so for us that is that's part of the, the viable workflow is finding really really a good and efficient ways for them to to do that right and so, so I think if you're thinking about this as a small like initial test, if you're just a hobbyist that come in and 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 you you choose often like a built tool or framework to start with, right? Then you can just deploy most places by now, right? It doesn't really matter. But if you're building at scale, then collaboration is is, is everything, right? Um, and workflows are everything. So, so that's sort of what we try to keep. At. Yeah, for sure. And as you said, the building websites is inherently a collaborative effort. Uh, I'm, it really is. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm curious to understand how has this changed the way, or let's say, how, how has the pandemic changed the way you work at Netlify, and you know, has it forced you to work differently in any way? And what have you learned from that? Have you come across any big challenges? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Netlify from the beginning, we always knew that we wanted a, a, a distributed culture, right? And we also knew that as Netlify as a service needs to be quite distributed, also geographically to cover different time zones and so on from support point of view with DevOps and so on. But um, uh, so we were at the time of the beginning already 60% uh, remote or distributed, mm -hmm. right? Um, but since day one, we had every Tuesday and Thursday as work from home days. 
That's because we didn't want a remote friendly culture. We wanted a distributed culture. Right? And, and in order to get that, that was sort of our way of doing it. So in, in many ways, it's been fairly pain free, right? Because we had so many other processes mm -hmm. already. Um, I think that uh, you, you, as anyone, you have to deal with like, there's more isolation and socialized isolation yeah. for longer. And, and so I think that the headline for driving these things, uh, and by the way, we're also in San Francisco where, where you know, mm -hmm. our headquarters is, and here it's, we're not like, we've been locked down throughout. If you could do telecommunications, that's still the, the mandate, yeah. right, from, from the mayor's office. So we sort of, we don't have an office yeah. right now at all. Um, and, but what I think, what we really learned, and I think it goes for everyone, right, it's completely global truth, is how intentional you have to be, right? Things, you don't have conversations by default when you sit down for lunch together, right? Yeah. Or, uh, or in the kitchen or wine after, you know, every Friday. That actually has to be events that has a Zoom invite and it's put in calendar and so on. I, mean, I think the way you share knowledge, that was important for us before, but for mm -hmm. anyone working distributed like this, you have to be so intentional. Asynchronous knowledge sharing, getting that right is alpha and omega, right? It is incredibly important. And so um, I think that's the key. I think that's an interesting point around how you share knowledge. I mean, what, what have you learned from that? Like, what are there any key things to keep in mind when it comes to sharing knowledge asynchronously? What do you preach to the rest of the organization? But it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's, yeah. it's hard. I mean, we created, we used different tools, but ended up creating our own handbook yeah. as a source of truth. And then that's the starting point for, for everything mm. else, right? Um, um, intentionality again, like over communicating, you making really sort of sure that this is it, right? Every time you have a topical or a meeting or something, there's a clear, who's the decision maker, who's the approver, like who's doing these things. And it can feel a little sort of process heavy, but, but you can do it in a ways that, that is actually not heavy on operations and it provides clarity, mm -hmm. right? And I think a lot of the clarity is you can, it just happens, right? You can take it for given when you're sitting in a room and everyone knows. But when you're different time zones and you're just jumping on the Zoom and maybe you haven't, you know, you don't have the same context, right? Providing that clarity up front and throughout. I think that's something we learned was even more important than, than we thought. And I think the way we work with our distributed team, we've become way better at it since the pandemic started, right? Because we had to. And then you have to yeah. layer in some, some amount of, of really synchronous things, right? Like we have seen the importance of, oh, yeah. of, of things like pair programming or mob pro programming, mm -hmm. right? Like in, in, in being able to gel teams together and work on something together live, right? Like there, there is something there that, that you have to also, I think, insert some of to, to get knowledge to, to flow freer. We, we have random virtual coffees. We have event yeah. spaces internally. Yeah. And like there's a, yeah. like the list goes on. There's a lot of different things we do. Yeah. Right? One of the it's things we, to us we, we just introduced as sort of a cultural factor was uh, at, at our virtual all hands, we shipped uh, a digital photo frame to, to everybody in Netlify yeah. that's connected to like a, a central like a folder with, with, with Netlify photos where people can share share photos from their locations and the places where they oh. are. You can have like to just so you can have like a little on, on your desk if you want a little a little sense of, of the company you're a part of and the team teammates you work with and the people you might not see day to day on Zoom calls but are still around you. So. It's an awesome idea. Uh, just building on that like um, 
we internally at Coastal, but also our customers sometimes struggle with the lack of having these moments of serendipity, you know, where sudden unplanned random moments uh, mm -hmm. that lead to innovation that, that you get your ideas that you otherwise wouldn't have had. What was the best way for you to, to recreate that if, if you can at all? We just had a, like this, you're so right, right? I mean, because part, like, how do you become spontaneous if everything has to be planned? Right. Well, you have to plan the mm -hmm. framework for it, right? <laughs> and so, so what we did was, uh, for example, we just had a hack day, right? It was a hack day where everyone could form, and they were especially encouraged to form teams across uh, the, the org, right? Yeah. And build anything and everything you want to, right? Um, and, um, and so that was a way of saying, hey, constraints are off yeah you're working with new people you're getting different kind of input what is a feature that you'd like to build or something that you'd like to see right it could be anything right we have uh, our virtues right and 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 so someone made a, a cool emoticon project around like emoticons for the different virtues i thought that was kind of fun right and, and a million different ideas and of course a ton of engineering stuff as well like things that do a missing in product or experience but but i think getting people to a place where they can invent and, and think freely is something you also have to be intentional around, right? Uh, you know, it's a little bit of contingency. Got it. And, and how do you run your, I understand, I mean, companies like GitLab and Zapier, and I think you also one of them push everything to asynchronous as much as possible, which is which is a very intentional task yeah. uh, exercise. And we, we do, we're doing the same, by the way, internally. But how do you run, is it when and for what do you run synchronously? We still have a lot of, I think like, and, and, and I mean, it's it's a co constant balance. We we haven't gone in the way yet where where everything is 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 synchronous. We are trying to push a lot of things in that direction, right? But we also still we also still have a lot of synchronous like topicals to to decide on strategy ideas uh, to come together and and brainstorm to create alignment between teams uh, to tackle like harder architectural problems or in or or to just do things like like more pro programming and so on that 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 inherently also gels people together and allow a different way of sharing them sort of the very intentional like typing messages and in, in github issues or things like that and do you pres prescribe that or i mean like uh, do you prescribe folks to say you have to more program a pair program a certain amount of time or in certain roles or is it's an optional thing we're experimenting with it okay yeah we're experimenting with, with both right but but it is a great way of doing it i mean i think when you talk about when you do synchronous i think meetings we have been meetings best practices noted down as well right and, yeah. and i think um the idea for live discussion is, is fantastic when you have a need to create alignment Right, because alignment yeah. also also feels with you reading people and the tone of voice and how engaged they are and what and and like how much when do you feel like the why of a decision has been properly explained and so on, right? And and so the, I feel in that way the asynchronous part is prep work and it's a summary to create alignment, but there's a part in between where FaceTime is just is just important, right? Also, we're human beings. I don't think Matt and I would want to to have a company where we never we never saw other people I, I would feel very sad and lonely at least right I, I, like this is this is my life right now right i'm sitting in my home office right i need to see and talk to people just like here right I, it's very important yeah we do actually like people <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course all this communication uh asynchronously and synchronously required tools and I know a lot of companies are looking for tools. What are the best tool sets to be using for remote work? 
what what does your setup look like like what are your five essential tools you can live without right now i mean one of them is netlify obviously since yeah. everything we do on the web runs on netlify and with netlify yeah. not, not kidding but like we couldn't do without yeah. <laughs> about netlify and building even the internal handbook we talked about is a, is 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 a website built with netlify with like uh, single sign-on enabled and so on, right? <laughs> so, so Netlify is, is, is pretty essential. The same goes for GitHub, right? Which yeah. like all of our stuff plugs into GitHub and we probably probably utilize GitHub excessively even for like for all kinds of project management and like even our, <laughs> like if you want to open a new hire, you go like create a GitHub issue about it, right? Like so, so GitHub is, is essential. Slack, of course, is like, if Slack goes down, we are all having a, a, a bad day. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom, I would add as well. Like we probably spent ninety nine percent of like Chris and I of our time on yeah. on Zoom calls. So, so yeah, it's become a pretty integral part of it. Um, then we are using like tools like Notion and Google Docs um, yeah. for 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 collaborative documents um, and have camps of people that are, are very opinionated on, on, on which one of them they should be. <laughs> we also use gel for stand-ups and so on. Like the idea is that of course you can have too many tools, right? But yeah. the discoverability and the way you use them and the fact that you can find them from the handbook, right? Even yeah. though you're not the person that created yeah. or a direct mm. sort of part of the team. Yeah. That's how we measure it, right? Yeah. It's, if it works like that, then fine. And I think that the report, you know, experimentation itself is important too, right? That you yeah, yeah. dare to try new tools, and there's something we do all the time. Yeah. Uh, I don't like, know how many tools I sign up to per week just just to have a look at how they work, and you'll see if I can draw some inspiration from that. Even if it doesn't mean like that you'll be replacing anything anytime soon. So, one recent tool that 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 really made an impact was uh, was Gong. That that's a tool that. Mm-hmm. records and categorizes uh, yeah. shareable all sales calls and also we, we try to also get like our product managers customer conversations in in there and so on right but but having like a shared place where everybody can go and view and watch and see transcripts of of, of all the customer interactions that that's that's really like, that's that's really great yeah gong is, is a great way of just getting that first hand communication of hey like this is what they need help with. This is what the focus is, right? Yeah. And, and creating that alignment. Yeah. And Miro is also something yeah. useful yeah. for brainstorming, right? And to create these come up a lot. these boards. Yeah. And of course, our design team is uh, Figma, like <laughs> It is pretty amazing how much of this, right? Like, and this is one of the big things that we're excited about, right? Like that. Ten years ago, if I if if I told you that, like that all the tools like you really rely on that just built with web technologies right like yeah. um, like github obviously right like but um like um slack is essentially built with, with with web technologies but then miro right like you're doing your yeah. brainstorming and your whiteboarding directly in the browser figma the whole like for fo- like suite of photoshop and like illustrator and all of that like our designers now it's just like they open a browser and they share url right like in Google Docs, like the spreadsheets, they are no longer like Excel files you send around. You share URL, you open the doc, yeah. right? Like, in that that's that's really been amazing to see, right? And that's of course also the kind of movement we hope to spring from the Netlify side, right? 
allowing developers to 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 really build uh, better web experiences uh, faster and and, uh, and easier. Yeah, it's quite amazing how it's changed and how we take those tools for granted these days. Yeah, just yeah, sending yeah, file over video feels video recording yeah. in, in the browser, right? Like yeah. uh, the whole editing yeah. tool is like Riverside, right? Like it, it's it's just yeah. like we kind of take it for granted, right? But like ten years ago, the fact yeah. that that everything would go to the web was 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 not exactly like a given. Yeah, I think everyone like Netlify felt it as well, right? The digital transformation of companies has exploded, right? It's twelve x, right, over the last year because. You know, you went from having online as one outlet to being the only outlet, right? And and uh, but I think it's been tremendously helped by just being like if this had happened five years before, it would have been so much harder for mm -hmm. companies to 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 actually work from home, right? I mean, like the, like the, the tools that have come up has 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 really been a godsend. So so. Incidentally, there are four Europeans on the call, right? The two of you are from Denmark. Uh, Max and I are from <laughs> Max and I are uh, Max is from Sweden. I'm from Germany. Um, at least for CoScreen, I can, and we're both all in the Bay Area to say uh, to say as well. I can say that CoScreen wouldn't have happened uh, elsewhere for many different reasons. Um, do you think like the next generation of entrepreneurs from Europe or so still have to come here at a certain moment in time? I'm not saying you can't build business in Europe, but there are certain things that have been much easier over here than in Europe or elsewhere. Do you think that is changing right now? And what do you suggest folks that are watching from the outside of the Bay Area with regards to their short and long-term plans? I think, it, I think it'll be really interesting to see once, once sort of travel and all, all these things starts going back to normal, what will happen. There's no, like, there's no doubt to mind that right now, like capital has become much more flexible on, on where to invest. There's become like a, a positive trend of like opening up access to, to VCs and capital and so on all, all, all over the world in a way that that where it just was much much harder to compete when you were sitting in 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 a European country and so on and only had access to local capital that often fought in very different ways and so on right like I think also right now of course some of the advantage of the Bay Area of just like the pure network effect of having all these people around you of course it's it's not here in the same way right now because. Because not like because everything is in lockdown, right? Like you're just not meeting random people all the time, right? But then again, when when things come back to normal, I still don't see anywhere else in the world that will have any anywhere close to the concentration of both entrepreneurs and developers mm -hmm. and investors and people who's already built things and VP level executives that tried scaling companies before and so on, right? So I don't know, like, if people go anywhere for that, I still don't see where where else would they go, mm -hmm. right? Like, maybe things will be more distributed, right? And there will be more access globally. But if you go to a place for it, it'll probably still be the Bay Area, in my opinion. I, th I think that it's, I mean, all of that, absolutely, right? But it is changing, right? And even after the pandemic, more and more people are working from home, right? 10% left San Francisco last year, right? It's gone down 30%, right? Because things are distributed. We will keep working from from home much more than before the pandemic, after the pandemic, right? Uh, fingers crossed that it, that there will be an yeah. after, right? But but I really think that it is changing. I think that you do see new hubs in Austin and Toronto and so on, right? I don't think that 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 is as as man saying like it's not because SF or, or the Bay Area is, is rivaled as such, right? But I uh, I, I I absolutely see a, a diffusion, right? And I think that's, that that that. 
yeah, when we did it, for example, like you couldn't even raise capital on the right terms back home, right? Even if you found it. And that's changed, you know, um, and, um, and it will continue to do so. I think that Silicon Valley made a playbook and everyone just had to admit that this spring premium talent, there's a lot of ways of, of going about it, right? And there's, of course, also much more to it than just how you invest, but it worked, right? The big companies, the big innovations came from a very small area. And I think just that there's a lot of countries and, you know, from China to Israel to, to Europe and like all over, right? Um, that are taking pages from that playbook, right? And, mm -hmm. and smartly so. And so I think absolutely we'll have more distributed teams. Absolutely we'll see, uh, uh, you know, IPOs coming less from one place and more from, from all over, right? But it's a gradual change. It's not an on-off switch, right? So yeah. I still think there's a lot to, to, to come from here. But the reasons that brought us here are still relevant, but not as relevant, even without internet. And then we still were six years ago. Absolutely. Awesome. So with 2020 behind us, uh, what are you mostly looking forward to in 2021? Uh, dining indoors with friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, getting together with people, like random encounters. Yeah. Like going into a bar and sitting in a counter and ordering a drink and meeting some people like <laughs> that you didn't like the, the the random encounters right like the unintentional things that, that you just meet people that that's uh, for sure I'm, I'm looking very much forward to that happening again traveling would be nice yeah. as well <laughs> yes uh, but yes. i would say i am very excited there's a silver lining here like this digital transformation is exciting right yeah and, and we've seen that throughout history right in, in other categories as well like you know extenuating circumstances creates uh, these these extraordinary results, right? And 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 these pushes for innovation, right? And very often it comes out of dire circumstances. And and I'm excited about a lot of the things we're seeing here, from the evolution of, of headless commerce, for example, which is a big play in in our space as well, right? And, and that we that we are seeing a lot of traction around. I'm very excited about and and yet yeah, the, the digital transformation of more companies in general, right? Also excited about seeing how many web developers that are popping up all over the world, and not just in the in the usual places, but also in a lot of developing countries and so on, right? And that's a prerequisite from leveling the playing field. And I'm excited about that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm very excited about, you know, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's a fun category to work with it, you know. And what I think you mentioned around both the, you know, social aspects of what we're missing and the traveling, perhaps those two combined will lead to us traveling for different reasons, right? We travel to see people, we travel to connect rather than going for sales, you know, sales presentations or, yeah, uh, conferences um, yeah. to meet people we already know, right? We, we might have yeah. better reasons to travel, yeah. other reasons to travel in the future. Absolutely. Actually, one of the reports that we get for also from my investors and so on that um, that I just read was um, by, you know, the sales process of buying B2B software from very large companies. Uh, in the beginning of pandemic, they sort of said, where would, how do you prefer to be sold? So like, how do you, how do you want the transactions? Right. And most people said, well, in person, right. And, yeah. and, you know, because I, I just can ask different kinds of questions and, you know, I can look over the shoulder for demos and that's just a lot to it. Right. And I get to know who I'm dealing with. Right. And that has shifted now. Right. So before that was 70%, now it's 30%. Right. Uh, the majority said, well, it's actually much easier and cleaner and it's easier to sort of, again, share the results asynchronously with others. And, and like the process is somehow, leaner and, and more efficient when, when we can all do it digitally. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that then we are going to change behaviors. I think that traditional sales traveling will also get a very different face for sure, right? Um, and, uh, and it will be much more about the human connection. You're right. Thank you so much, Matt and Chris.
for being with us on the show. It's been amazing to hear your story about how Netlify came to be and what you believe the future holds when it comes to front-end development and the modern web. Uh, of course, I want to tell our listeners to check out Netlify and the Jamstack if you haven't yet. Start building front-end apps, but I would say decoupled apps in general in a smarter and faster way with uh, the help from technology from Matt and Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>